This is the Value Investor Podcast with Tracy Reinick. All things value, all the time. Welcome back, value investors. So we're continuing on with our look into value investing through the eyes of Benjamin Graham and his Intelligent Investor book. So I wanted to cover a topic he kind of outlines in the introduction and um, gets into a little bit more later on in the book, obviously. And it is how to create your value portfolio. What should it look like? So he lays out four different uh, kind of keys or um, steps you should be following to, uh, you know, pick stocks basically. And um, I thought some of these were kind of interesting because I don't agree with all of them now in this more modern age, so to speak. But let's go through them. And then I'm going to talk about a couple ways you might be able to, to invest in the way he's describing. And then I want to talk about some other value stocks right now and what is going on with some of those names. So the first key is to basically have diversification. He recommends buying a minimum of at least 10 and a maximum of at least 20 stocks. Now, remember, this is basically before uh, mutual funds were very popular, before uh, ETFs even existed. So now we have other ways of getting the diversification rather than just buying individual holdings. But if you do, you will know that if you only own, say, five stocks, you're not diverse. <laughs> you're not, like that's a little risky. Um, but a lot of people have said over the years that even as little as 20 different stocks is plenty to give you diversification as long as you're owning, you know, different market caps and in different industries among those 20 stocks. So he recommends 10 to 20 for diversification. Now, the second key is that um, he suggests that investors buy big and uh, fiscally conservative companies, like the ones that are conservatively financed, I think is the term that he used. Um, that is the one thing, the one key here I don't really recommend, but for whatever reason in the 70s, he was advocating that they had to be big. And now I would ad advocate the opposite that to be diverse, investors should have different size companies. And especially because the small cap value stocks historically over the last numerous decades have actually proven to be the best performing asset class, although they're not doing it right now because those banks are down. But um, over longer periods of time, small cap value has outperformed. So uh, when he says he just suggests buying big, I, I don't really agree with that. But we're going to take a look at the big the big caps here in a moment. Uh, his third key is that the company should have a long record of dividends. And um, Jason Zwig in the updated version said you should have at least 10 years continuous. And this, this kind of uh, key reminded me of the dividend aristocrat type of ETFs that are now out there. Um, because now you can just buy a whole basket. You don't necessarily have to buy just a company. Also, yes, a long record of dividends can say, uh, indicate that a company is, um, uh, 
watching how they spend their money, basically, because that money just doesn't appear out of thin air. The company actually has to be doing something right to create enough cash flow to have the cash to pay that dividend. That's why a lot of investors over the years have used dividends as kind of like a key to the health of a company. But as we've seen even just recently, um, GE, for instance, paid a dividend for decades and then just recently cut it. So just because a company has paid it continuously over many years doesn't mean they always will. And as we saw with even the banks during the financial crisis, many of them had paid their dividends out for years and years. Some of them, um, you know, yielding four, five, six percent. A lot of older investors would just buy big bank stocks as a way to get their income and generate income because it was at that time considered basically a sure thing and safe. Like, oh, you know, this big bank, it's been around 100 years. It can't go under. It can't mismanage its business. But that dividend provided this level of safety that turned out not to be true. So while, yes, you can look at long records of dividends as that that company is doing something right, it shouldn't be the only thing you'd look at. And as value investors, do we really care if it pays a dividend? Not necessarily, but uh, Graham is trying to get you, the investor, to look at the longer term track record of a company and a company that has paid it out a decade or more certainly has that kind of track record. So that's not a bad thing. And we should we'll keep that in mind for these steps that he's telling us to take. Okay, so then the fourth step is to impose a price limit on what you will pay. So this goes back to his other question of how much. So how much are you willing to pay to get the first three steps, the big and conservatively fiscally managed, um, the 10 to 20 stocks, and then the long record of dividends. Now, a value investor may say, I'm not gonna pay more than 15 times earnings for those criteria or maybe it's 20 times earnings, or if maybe you wanna go real cheap and you will not pay more than 10 times earnings. But a growth investor may be, hey, I'm fine paying 30 times, 40 times, or maybe even 50 times. So the question we are asking both as value and even as growth investors is how much, how much are we willing to pay for these earnings and that earnings growth? So some growth would be justified. So if a company is growing um, earnings by about 10% a year, it takes about seven years to double their earnings. So if you are a growth investor, you're looking at something that um, is trading at 30 times, it, it may not be expensive in your analysis because it's going to double those earnings in um, seven years or maybe even less if it's growing faster than 10 times or 10% a year. So, but value, it's, the opposite side, you, normally with value investing, we don't get the big double-digit growth 
on earnings, although sometimes. So we can be lucky and get both growth and the value, but normally we don't get as much. And usually the stocks, again, are out of favor. Wall Street is running away and the risk is greatly reduced because we're getting them for the cheaper price. So that's one thing to keep in mind, both as growth and value investors. Um, how much are you willing to pay for these things? Now, let's turn back to those dividends. So there are ways to find um, what we call dividend aristocrats. Those are the ones who are paying at least you know a decade, two decades, three decades. And some of them you just run into. In fact, I was just writing a bear of the day here at Zach's. It's an article we have on Zach's.com. And it's a stock that's a Zach's number five strong sell. That's why it's the bear. And it was Exxon, um, which I can't actually remember being a bear of the day. I know I haven't written one. Oh, and I don't remember it being a number five for many, many years. Number fours, definitely of the cell variety. That's a cell, but I don't remember it falling all the way to a five. That's a pretty strong convic conviction by those analysts that those earnings, you know, need to come down, which is what is happening there. Those earnings are being cut. But I did notice when I was writing this article that they um, just announced their dividend for the third quarter and they said they had been raising their dividend for 37 consecutive uh, years now. And that's pretty impressive given everything that's happened in the energy field for all those decades. So this goes back to what Benjamin, Benjamin Graham uh, would argue is that Exxon is basically showing you the investor that they are conservatively uh, managed and that they are able to ride out the ups and the downs and still have the cash flow to pay this out to their investors, their shareholders. And they've been doing it through all those years. Think about the oil shocks. There was like an embargo in there. Uh, the financial crisis, obviously, we just had the huge drop in oil prices in 2015, 2016. And yet they're still raising that dividend, not to mention paying it out, but still raising Exxon because those shares have come down now. Um, it's, it's actually yielding 5%, but those estimates are also being cut. So it looks a little bit like a value trap here. But um, I'm bringing it up because that kind of fits into those dividend aristocrats. And it was one way I found one just randomly. But that's hard to do, right? You really don't want to sit around thinking like, huh, I wonder which companies have been paying, you know, year after year over and over. Um, why don't I just buy an ETF instead? Because some of them are actually called dividend aristocrats ETFs. So there's two of them that I was taking a look at. They're by ProShares. And one is the S&P 500 dividend aristocrat. That ticker is N-O-B-L. And the other one is the ProShare mid-cap 400 dividend aristocrats. So investing in those mid-caps, which is also an interesting area that you might want to capture. And um, that one is REGL. So I took a look at both of these. Let's start with the S&P 500 one, the, the NOBL um, dividend aristocrat. So the expenses on this are a um, little bit higher because it's more actively managed. It's 0.35%. It has 57 stocks in it right now. It's yielding 2.2%, which isn't all that great, but 57 stocks, that means you're going to get some with pretty high yields. Some might be lower, 
um, oh, I, I left out the most important part. Um, this one, they had to have been paying it. Oh, shoot. I don't think I wrote it down. Um, I don't remember now what it is. I think it was 25 years they had to pay it consecutive. Um, this isn't raising it. It's just that they had to pay or no, it is raising it. They had to raise it for at least 25 consecutive years with this one. So Exxon would be, it's probably in this. I didn't look, but, um, it would be qualifying. But again, it doesn't mean that these stocks are cheap. This, the CTF is just tracking whether or not it's actually raised the dividend year after year for 25 years. But I did look at the PE. PE is at 18.5, which is a little bit under the S&P 500 right now, which is about 19.6 or so. So it is a little bit cheaper. It does have a price to book of 3.2, which is right around the parameters of value for the price to book ratio. So that's not so bad. Um, but again, you're not getting like a super high yield with this one. It's just 2.21. I did take a look at the S&P 500 yield because I was just curious, like, why don't I just buy the regular S&P 500? And it's a little bit below. It's yielding um, as of August 20th, 1.87%. And this was the State Street S&P 500 ETF, which is SPY is that ticker. But I also looked at the performance. So the three-year performance of this dividend aristocrat fund is 10.26%. And the S&P 500 ETF SPY is 132 during that same period. So it is beating it by about three percentage points there, which is pretty significant over a three-year time period. So something to keep in mind that um, you're not necessarily going to beat the S&P 500 just by buying like a dividend aristocrat funds. And what does this one actually invest in? And you can see why it might not be, uh, can't outperform the SPY is because its biggest area, its biggest industry is consumer staples at 23.6%. That makes sense because a lot of those companies have been paying out the dividend year after year. That would be like the Procter & Gamble's of the world and that kind of thing. Then you have industrials at 22%. So that's almost half of this ETF or consumer staples and industrials. Then you're going to get the financials, but a lot of them cut their dividends during the financial crisis. So they no longer qualify to be in this, but some did not. So you still get a 12 12% of the portfolio, but you have to go all the way down to the very bottom where then you find information technology and it's only 1.8% of the portfolio. Now, some of that is because a lot of the tech stocks have not paid dividend yields uh, at all, have not paid a dividend. And those that have started maybe in the last 20 years, they haven't yet gotten to the 25 year time period. You will have some of the old guard like an Intel or um, even like an IBM who have now paid it 25 years, but even Microsoft hasn't paid a dividend yield for 25 years yet. And certainly a lot of the other new ones, again, don't pay it at all. So you're not really getting exposure to the tech industry here with this kind of ETF. So something to keep in mind, because that's now one of the biggest areas of the SPY, which is again, because that area is doing so well right now, why you're getting the outperformance over there. And then I took a look at those mid caps. So that ticker was REGL. And these only have to have raised it for 15 years, 15 consecutive years. So a little less of a burden, but it's still not as, as common for mid cappers to pay 
dividends and certainly not for the small caps. It's actually quite a bit rarer for the small caps, but even the mid caps to have raised it for 15 consecutive years, that's pretty impressive. So this ETF has 51 companies in it. It's a little more expensive PE at 19.1 times and it's price to book though is cheaper at 2.4. This one is yielding 2.18% right now. So that's not so bad. And they only started running this fund in 2015. So it only has a couple of years of performance here, but its three-year return is 9.68%. And then I looked up the two-year, it's at 12.3, and that is underperforming the S&P 500, which is at 19.7 for the last two years. But remember, the mid-caps have been outperforming large caps. Large caps have dominated everything for the past two or three years here. So not surprising that a mid-cap dividend aristocrat fund is also going to underperform the S&P 500, um, at least uh, during this period. So something to keep in mind with both of those. Okay, so switching back over, I wanted to take a look at some of the retail stocks kind of following um, Benjamin Graham's um, rules here for creating my portfolio because a lot of them are cheap, right? But, uh, you know, some of them seem like dirt cheap. There was like a tweet going on uh, around Twitter recently with retailers trading under $5. And I glanced at that and I said, oh yeah, there's even more names that were listed there. I think there were like seven or eight names, but there's even more. So here's a here's a list of a couple of them that I did just off the top of my head before I came in here to do this podcast. So uh, the first one is Express. It's at $2.05 right now. Pier one was under a dollar. Then they did a reverse split up to like $8 and they're now back to $3.82. So <laughs> that's just like bleeding wealth right there. And that tickers PIR. They don't even have a CEO. I don't believe right now. I think the board is still running the company. Um, unclear what's going to happen there. Retail wins RTW. I used to own this one. That is New York and company actually, but they renamed themselves. Um, the stock hasn't done well since they've renamed themselves Retail Wins, whatever that means. But it's at a dollar seventy right here. But they they don't have any debt. Um, they have, you know, they fit into the good fiscal conservatively managed a scenario that Graham said we should look for. They don't pay a dividend though, so obviously smaller cap stock, so they're not going to pay it. Um, another one that's similar that's pretty fiscally conservatively managed as well as J-Jill, ticker Jill, J-I-L-L. They're at $1.75 now. They went IPO not that long ago, a year or two ago, and it's been downhill on some worries with them, but they've had pretty strong numbers. Feel like the sale is overblown a bit, but no dividend there either. And another one, an infamous one now under a dollar for a while, they've been warned by um, the stock exchange since they're under a dollar for too long here. And it's JCPenney, JCP, and they're trading around 60 cents right now. It was worse. It was like, I think under 40 or something before their earnings report. So it has bounced up off those earnings report, but not yet back over um, the dollar there. So those are just a few of the ones. There are others, but should you be looking at any of these? Um, like if we're following Graham's, you know, rules, most of them, I would say no, but I wanted to take a look at one of the ones that wasn't under $5 because it has 
some of Graham's other rules. So it is one of the big cap retailers and it has a dividend, which it's paid for a number of years. I'm not sure it's at 10 years continuously, but it certainly is at least five, if not longer. And that would be Macy's. So Macy's, um, pretty cheap here. It's single digit PEs, but it's recently back down to those five-year lows and is paying almost a 10% dividend. So again, sometimes the dividend yield that's paying that high can signal, obviously, distress. But one thing I like to look at when I'm looking at uh, um, to find stocks that are on sale, which these ones are, and that's not on Graham's list, is what are the insiders doing? Are they jumping in here? Because you'd think, hey, if my stock went down to $1.50 or something or anything under five bucks, and I thought we were doing A-OK or even possibly good, why wouldn't I be buying it there? <laughs> wouldn't you be buying it hand over fist? Wouldn't you be diving in there? Wouldn't you, as soon as the... Uh, compliance department said, okay, the window is open for you to buy. Wouldn't you be rushing out with at least a minimum buy? I would. So that's why it's important to watch the insider buying for some of these. And with Macy's, um, I did go to look because they did just report and one per, one insider is buying recently. So just a couple of days um, ago before this podcast, I think it was like August 16th, one director did buy a thousand shares at sixteen twenty-five. That's how much they paid, and um, kind of disappointed to see that others have not come in there yet. But three others did buy in May when those shares surged down into the low twenties. Obviously, not as low as what they are now, and that included the CEO who bought around twenty-one ninety-five. And he bought 5,000 shares. So that was a little more of a confidence buy and like, you know, yeah, we're still behind this. Um, we'll wait and see if maybe the CEO may buy again here or maybe not. But again, if you think that these are really on sale and a really good buy, why wouldn't you be buying more here? You're also getting the 10% yield because they get it just like you or I would get it. So that's not a bad thing either. But it can send a strong signal when a director buys. That's their own money. They are usually gifted awards for serving on the board. So they they get shares in addition to whatever they happen to buy on the open market. So buying like this when these shares are back down near the five-year lows again uh, does send a strong signal. So keep that in mind. Some of these retailers haven't reported earnings yet, but... Uh, when they do, that's when the window to buy for the insiders is usually opened because obviously they're telling us all the news that they know. So they cannot trade on that news ahead of time. So once they tell us everything, hold their conference call, then usually, but not always, but usually the, the compliance department says, okay, you can go in there and buy, which is why we had this buy from the Macy's director. And then we'll see what happens with some of these other retailers who haven't reported yet. There was also one insider buy at the JCPenney as well. Um, and so that's at least a little encouraging with those shares under a dollar there. But yeah, that the insider buys is another key step that um, you should definitely be adding to your list when you're looking around at creating a portfolio and trying to find the stocks for it. And then using Graham's, some of Graham's 
key steps here in order to how, to, how what it should look like. And that means 10 to 20 stocks, having the, um, well, he says big and conservatively financed companies, but I say have several different size companies. Conservatively financed is great, but have several different sizes because that adds to the diversification. And um, I'm not a total believer in the long record of dividends, but it does add on a layer of safety for the value investor, especially if those shares are like plunging, plunging, plunging. Um, it gives you something to hold on to and to be rewarded for your patients waiting for the stock to turn around. So that is actually what that 10% yield is doing at Macy's. It's allowing longer term shareholders to stay in the stock because at least they're getting paid for their patients while the company continues to try to turn around those sales and everything heading into the holiday season. So keep that in mind with some of these. Okay, so let's recap kind of where we stand here. Um, we're starting to get to what we need to be looking to buy and how we do it in the intelligent investor. So this is the exciting time. And I'm going to continue reading through the chapters and bringing out any kind of tips I can from, you know, the greatest minds in value, which is what Ben Graham is. He makes it seem so easy, like, oh, yeah, just go buy some of these stocks. They're big caps and they have at least 10 years continuous of dividends. <laughs> like, okay, like that seems easy, right? Um, and it really is not that hard. Again, there are these ETFs. So remember the ETF tickers that I shared today. These are just the pro shares, dividend aristocrats. There are probably, and I know that there are other ETFs also tracking uh, companies with great dividend track records, but these ones are the S&P 500 is N-O-B-L, and the one that tracks the mid-cap 400 is R-E-G-L. And then we talked about Macy's, the ticker there is M, and Exxon, I brought that up, but it's a number five right now and looks a little bit like a value trap, but it does have that big juicy dividend now, and it has paid it and raised it for several decades now. So that ticker is XOM. And then take a look and keep on your watch list some of these other retailers. We have JCPenney, JCP, JJill is J-I-L-L, Retail Wins is RTW. Pier 1 is P-I-R and Express is E-X-P-R. And I know many of you are keep asking me about some of these uh, retailers under $5. How low can they go? Well, they can literally go to zero. They can declare bankruptcy. So be careful. I've been burned before. I'm not going to say which one it was. Um, they are still in business, the one that burned me, but it kept going down, down, down. No insiders were buying, which is a key sign to me now, because again, if it goes to two bucks and you think, hey, we're going to turn this around and don't worry, it's not that bad, then you're buying hand over fist. But the fact that they were not buying tells you um, no go there. So yes, it can go to zero. So be careful. Any stock under five bucks and uh, look around, listen in on those conference calls, look at their financials. Do they have uh, decent financials? Can they survive 
Um, or will they have loans coming up? What does their revolving credit look like? All these things are an issue and be sure to check in on them. So, okay, I'll be back again next week as usual with some more value investing because a lot is going on. There's a lot of value stocks out there, but are some traps or are they genuine items. We're going to be examining all of that in the next couple of weeks. So you don't want to miss a single episode. Be sure to get us on Apple podcast as a standalone show. We're over there and we're on Spotify. I know a lot of you are finding us on both platforms, but be sure to get us somewhere and I'll see you again next week with some more value stocks. This material is being provided for informational purposes only, and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. Do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identified and described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.